Today we're kicking off this brand new series of what does Jesus change? Does Jesus really change anything? And that question, not only was it asked 2,000 years ago about when he's living, but it also gets asked today all the time. Like, okay, so is he a good teacher? Does he have wisdom? What, who is Jesus? And does it really change anything for us Today, does it matter whether or not I follow this guy, I listen to anything he says? Does my life begin to change in any particular way? So as we kick off this series, we're going to look at it from multiple angles. And today we're going to look at it in the context of identity by going to the book of John. And John is an interesting gospel. John has stories that aren't found in the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John has a very different perspective, which kind of helps us in where we're going. So the stories we're going to look at generally are held apart, but today we are going to look at them together just to see what can we get? How can we understand what does Jesus really change? How does that begin to question the identity of ourselves, the identity of Jesus, our identity in relation to others? So come with us on this journey. Starting in John 7, verses 37 through 44. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted, all who are thirsty should come to me. All who believe in me should drink. As the scripture said concerning me, rivers of living water will flow out from within him. Jesus said this concerning the spirit. Those who believed in him would soon receive the spirit, but they hadn't experienced the spirit yet. Since Jesus hadn't yet been glorified, when some in the crowd heard these words, they said, this man is truly the prophet. Others said, he's the Christ. But others said, the Christ can't come from Galilee, can he? Didn't the scripture say that the Christ comes from David's family and from Bethlehem, David's village? So the crowd was divided over Jesus. Some wanted to arrest him, but no one grabbed him. All right, so we begin into this story and Jesus is at this festival, there's a lot of people, and he gets up and he makes this statement, all who are thirsty should come to me, all who believe in me should drink, as the scripture said concerning me, rivers of living water will flow out from him. So it's this sense immediately that what Jesus is giving, he's like, wait a minute, I've got something that's going to change your life. Experiencing me with experiencing life the way I am about to give it, the way I'm about to share it, is going to be life-changing. It's going to help us thrive. Those, that sense of living waters, that there is this energy to life, and Jesus is like, come, drink. Drink deeply from it. Be energized. Be ready to go out. And people are like, who is that? Immediately, from what Jesus says, there's a question of who Jesus is, of his identity, of who he is in relationship to them. Like, I, I mean, this guy, this Galilean, like, can anything good for, come from Galilee? Often, 
the people of Galilee were seen as being religiously lax in connection to Jerusalem and to other people. And that's something we kind of do today, right? We're like, well, can anything good come from? Or I don't know if they're capable because of where they are. Maybe we've even experienced that ourselves of someone going, wait a minute, you're from where? You're from, are you from downriver? Right? So automatically, people are making assumptions about Jesus. They are trying to get at who he is and why, what he says. Why is that important? Is he speaking some truth? Should they be listening to them? And here the people, the people begin to question just as we often question ourselves today. Just as we need to be asking those questions. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus relevant? Does Jesus change anything? But here's the thing. That's not where we stop. That's not the place where we sit down and go, well, I don't have the answer. I don't know what to do. Uh, I got other things. But instead, we begin to see how to dig into those questions to help us get somewhere of what does Jesus really change? Or, yeah, he was a good teacher. He had some wisdom he imparted upon the people. Maybe we can get a good catchphrase from him. Maybe we can get a good meme out of him. Continuing on, verses 45 through, 40, through 53. The guards returned to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked, Why didn't you bring him? The guards answered, No one has ever spoken the way he does. The Pharisees replied, Have you too been deceived? Have any of the leaders believed in him? Have any Pharisees? No one, no, only this crowd which doesn't know the law. And they are under God's curse. Nicodemus who was one of them and had come to Jesus earlier, said, Our law doesn't judge someone without first hearing him and learning what he is doing, does it? They answered him, You're not from Galilee too, are you? Look it up and you'll see that the prophet doesn't come from Galilee. They each went to their own homes. All right, so the guards... The guards of the chief priests, Pharisees, scribes. Here it said chief priests and Pharisees, right? So the guards are there. They're listening to Jesus. They have been told, they are being paid, and they are told, you go get him and bring him to us. The guards come back empty-handed, and the Pharisees and the chief priests are like, um, where is he? Why didn't you do what you were told? And they're like, no, this guy's different. Like, this guy is offering that living water. This guy is offering something beyond the current life that we are living. The current way we understand the world has to work. The current way we are engaging in the world within ourselves and outside of ourselves. And they are like, there is something different. And so we didn't bring them. Think about that for a second. They have just told their employers, yeah, we're not going to do what you want us to do because this guy is offering us something far more powerful. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the chief priests, they are ready to argue. They jump on that and they're like, what do you know? 
And then they go on the attack of Jesus going, wait a minute, isn't he from Galilee? Nothing good can come from Galilee. The chief priests and the Pharisees have made an assumption about who Jesus is. They have made an assumption about his identity, like they know a little bit, right? Okay, so they say he comes from Galilee, but now they have placed assumptions beyond. Those are only lax people. Those aren't good people. And even when Nicodemus, Nicodemus who had this great conversation with Jesus in previous chapters, which you can go read, Nicodemus is like, now wait a minute, let me ask a question here. I thought we didn't jump to judgment before we understood, before we got, and the Pharisees, chief priests, ready to attack because they think they are so right. They think they are so right about who Jesus is, about his identity, that they totally annihilate any possibility for something different. And so to even begin to think about that, of who we think Jesus is, of what are the assumptions that we have made, what are the questions that we ask, and do we just stop? And we're like, no, I think I got it. I think I know who he is, and just move on. So here the story is drawing us in, into those questions which are so important for us to ask. We should be questioning who Jesus is. What does Jesus change? But we have to be careful when all of a sudden we jump to assumptions, jump to conclusions, think there is nothing else to learn, nothing else to know. In fact, the scripture is inviting us to ask and go further. To like, no, 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 we got to dig into this. Nicodemus is like, wait a minute, don't we need to know a little bit more? And so as we dig into those questions, we get this next story. This story that often is separated out. Starting in John, the 18th chapter, verses 1 through 6. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he returned to the temple. All the people gathered around him, and he sat down and taught them. The legal experts and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Placing her in the center of the group, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? They said this to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. So what's important about this particular story in the book of John is that that's the only place that it occurs. And it should, in most translations of the Bible, it should be, there should be a notation that says, this is a late edition. It's not part of the original. And it actually has some word phrasing that is more similar to the book of Luke than to the book of John. And that comes in from the beginning of saying, the legal experts and Pharisees, usually John says chief priests or chief priests and Pharisees or Pharisees. Uh, so we've got a little bit of language difference here. The other aspect that is just a little bit different is the Mount of Olives. So John doesn't use that term except for here. Other things to note about why this story is different and weird. 
One is that the chief priests and the Pharisees, or as it says here, the legal experts and Pharisees, they don't have the authority to stone anyone. And in Roman law, adultery, adultery was not a, an offense that caused death. The punishment for that offense was not death, was not stoning by death. And they're quoting the law of Moses. They're like, hey, according to the law of Moses, she should be stoned. Actually, according to the law of Moses, both parties, because it takes two, right? It takes two to tango. It takes two, and in the law of Moses, it says, no, you bring both of them. Bring both, not just one. And so this story really isn't about what the woman did or did not do. It's really about the Pharisees coming up, these legal experts showing up and saying, we're going to catch you. We are wanting to put you to the test. We don't like you. So we are going to trick you. We are going to try to test you and see what you do. And here's the thing. They are making assumptions, once again, about who Jesus is, about who he is in relation to the law of Moses, about who he is in relation to them, about who he is in relation to others. They're making assumptions but they're also showing who they are in that, who, how they have constructed their identity. And what's even more disturbing is that in this conversation that they are willing to destroy another person's life to get at Jesus. They have taken this woman, they have made accusations against her, they have reduced her to this act of adultery, this thing. They have reduced her entire life to that, and they are willing to kill her to get him. They have made her identity one of, she's just a pawn in their game. She has no worth. Her life is unworthy. And to think about those things that construct our identity, that are part of who we are, that are destructive, that are problematic, that are things that we go, wait a minute, I really don't like that. Or to think about it from the woman's perspective, what if our identity, who we are, was reduced to one bad decision? What if it was reduced to the one decision that we wish we could take back? What if our identity was reduced to the bad day? Right? I mean, that's painful. That's awful because we are so much more, right? Our identities are complex. It comes from our experiences. It comes from sometimes genetics. It comes from our way of engaging in the world, the way that we try to maybe go forward in the world, the way that we try to handle things. Our identities come from relationships. Maybe we are a parent, grandparent, 
our identities are complex things made from a variety. And so to try to reduce us to one thing, to a questionable, to a questionable action, and that's all that we are, is highly problematic. And here, Jesus is giving us that sense. Jesus is like, okay, wait a minute as we continue on. They cont verses 7 through 9. They continue to question him. So he stood up and replied, whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote on the ground, those who heard him went away one by one, beginning with the elders. Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. So they're trying to trick Jesus. Jesus knows what they're up to. Jesus is like, okay, so you've reduced, tried to reduce my identity to, you've reduced this poor woman's identity to, and so he asked this question, whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. That is an identity question because they have to understand who they are and they have to understand Right? They have to actually take a look and go, wait a minute. Yeah, I've done things that I wish I hadn't done. My life hasn't been put together. And so now they have to take a step back in understanding who they are and who they are in relation to others. If you're so perfect, then you go cast that stone and go, wait a minute, that's, that's really not who I am. And Jesus doesn't do it from a place of attacking. He does it because he wants them to engage in that conversation of saying, who am I? Who do I need to be? Who am I in relation to others? How is this beginning to work out? How do we form our identity? Because so often it's easy to go, well, I'm against or I'm not for or that person bothers me. I don't like. And we just stop there. And what's interesting about especially the things we don't like in others is often what we struggle in ourselves. We struggle with those things within ourselves and that's why we don't like to see it in someone else. And so this moment, Jesus is really trying to get them to think, trying to get them to engage, trying to see a different perspective. And he looks down at the ground and he begins writing, drawing, whatever he's doing, and they walk away because they have to go contemplate who they are, who they need to be, and who they are in relation to others. This thought about what does Jesus change? What does Jesus change in our lives today, right now, so many years later, is even these questions that he posed so long ago that he begins to take us and say, wait a minute, who are you? Who are you? Who do we all need to be? Who are we in relationship with one another? That this sense that what does Jesus change begins to change the very foundation of our identity, the very foundation of who we understand ourselves to be in relationship with others, that we are not isolated individuals. And so to begin to think through, because remember, Jesus started with living waters. I'm going to help you thrive. And so... How does Jesus do that? 
by asking us questions about who we understand ourselves to be. Finishing up in verses 10 through 12, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? She said, No one, sir. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on. Don't sin anymore. Jesus spoke to the people again, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we started with those living waters. We started with what does Jesus offer? What does Jesus change? And we see it here come to fruition in this encounter, in this conversation between Jesus and the woman. A simple conversation and yet extraordinarily powerful. Because not only do we get something of a sense of who Jesus is, compassionate, compassionate, respectful, but also challenging. But he is also inviting the woman into that. When he says, woman, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? She said, no one, sir. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus is like, let it go. Let what they have said about you that they have said is your identity, this bad choice that you made. Let it go. You don't have to be on that path. You can begin to take a new path. That that doesn't have to be your identity. You can let that go. Have some compassion on yourself. None of us make perfect decisions. And he says, and I'm not going to condemn you for that. You need some mercy. You need that grace. You need some compassion and love in this moment. I'm going to give that to you. But go and from now on, don't sin anymore. Go. Go on this new path. Challenge yourself. Is this who you want to be or do you want to change? Because Jesus is like, you can thrive in this world. Your life can be changed, but are you willing to engage? Are you willing to take that step? Are you willing to move into that light? into new understanding of who you are, who you can be, and who you are in relation to others. Because we live in a world, and maybe we can even think of the things that have been said to us that have been painful, right? Pharisees were mean. They were mean to this woman. They equated, they reduced her to an action, to her worst moment, maybe, And how often do we do that to ourselves? How often do we battle those voices within our head? Or maybe we've had somebody, you know, we've heard those phrases in our culture. Maybe we've even heard them in our homes. You won't amount to much. Or maybe we've heard that phrase, the golden child. And neither of those phrases are very helpful, but both of them are identity phrases. Both of them are identity phrases 
that can be problematic at times. And to think about that, think of all the phrases we've heard through our life, the things that we tell ourselves over and over again that actually are impacting, are creating who we are and who we are in relation to others. And Jesus is like, you can let that go. You can put that down and you can move in a different direction. That is the living water. That is the thriving. You don't have to be that anymore because we are connected to a God of love. And Jesus is inviting us to connect to him, to the God of love, compassion, to the God that says, no, you are worthy. You are worthy. You can't be reduced to one bad decision. There's another way. Jesus is inviting us to experience that, to experience the risen Christ. That is experiencing, part of experiencing the risen Christ is saying, okay, here we are, and now we are moving in a totally new direction that claims us as worthy, as love, that will not allow us to be reduced, that can say to the voices within our heads and maybe even the voices around us, who, no, that is not who I am. I can be a child that is of worth. I can be a child that is of love, that is of compassion. I can be a child that enters into those challenges. Because there is the side, Jesus is loving and compassionate, but Jesus also challenges us. Different way. What do we have to change? What do we have to let go of? What do we have to put down? What do we have to do today? So yeah, what does Jesus change? Jesus begins to change how we understand ourselves in this world. Jesus begins to challenge us in how we understand who we are and who we can be and how we can move forward. And how does that happen? When we decide we want to engage in that work, when we won't settle for simple just, I'm going to lay that question out there, but then I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to do the work. How is when we begin to take a deeper look at who Jesus is in all different kinds of relationship, all kinds of different moments and say, wait a minute, I want to connect to that. I want to connect to that way of living. I want to connect to being able to respond in high stress situations like I want to be able to serve like when we begin to dig into who Jesus is, it can begin to connect then to who we are and who we can be. So how will we allow this story this morning, these two separate stories, how will we be challenged to come to new understanding, to come into that light, to come into new ways of new possibilities, not only of who Jesus is, but who we are and who we are in relation to others. Amen.